Amen. Well, I am so excited for this morning. Uh, we are in week three, the final week of our study. Uh, God is blank. And uh, someone may have tried to insinuate that we will not finish this in three weeks. I was horribly offended. Not really, because that's just how it goes. So we, we are going to finish this series this week. And so because of that, um, and I do have like four pages of notes. So we're going to buckle up. We're going to hold on. We're going to be, we're going to be good to go. Uh, I do want to remind you as well on your uh, mobile device there on our app. Uh, you can access the notes for the sermon this morning if you'd like to do that. Uh, it's a simple outline. There's a few fill-in-the-blanks there. Um, obviously, everything in my notes are not on the app. It's more of just kind of keep you following along there if you're curious to do so. Uh, you can go on our app, which is North Goodland BC, in your app store, and then you can download that. And then when you go into media, you'll see sermon notes. Then you'll see today's date. Click on that link there, and it'll bring up uh, the notes or the outline for the message this morning, and you can kind of Follow along by filling in some blanks if you'd like to do so. Uh, if you're taking handwritten notes or different notes, we always encourage that. Um, my prayer is that you will leave the service today and that your study of God's word will not sit idle until next Sunday morning. Amen. That we will get in the word every single day. That we will study God's word, know God's word. And so things that I bring to you on Sunday mornings, I pray that you take home with you. That you, you get into the word and you study it out. And you ask God, give you wisdom. And as he's leading you in your situation and where you are in your life right now. And so we encourage you to do that. Also want to let you know, I always try to mention this as well. If you would like a copy of my notes, uh, my full outline. Because I'm going to give you a lot of different verses that you're just not going to write down. I'm, I'm promising you it's going to be tough to do. Uh, but I want to give you a lot of content this morning and what we're talking about. So if you need or would like a copy of my notes, just reach out to me and I can shoot that to you digitally or, or whatever you would like. And so saying all of that to say, I'm so excited for where the Lord has led us this morning. Again, this was just a three-week series on asking the question of God is blank. What would you put in that blank. And we said this week one, depending on your life experience, depending on how you've grown up or things you've gone through, the lens that usually we see our lives through is our experience. And so for some of you today, maybe you've had just a really great life. I mean, things have been good. Like your childhood was great. You got, you know, out of high school, you went to school, you got a good paying job, you make good money. In your mind, everything north, you've got the vacation spot. I mean, for you, fill that in with a very positive term. God is good. God is loving. Oh, God is gracious. God is kind. We would use more of a positive emphasis on that. But if you're here this morning and you've had not the best life, You've had difficulties. You didn't have a great childhood. Your parents weren't great parents. Uh, maybe your mom or your dad were just not really even in the picture. They weren't even really around. For you, your life has not been great. You don't live super comfortable. For you, there's trials and there's struggles and there's concerns and, and there's things that you've gone through in your life that you would actually look at God and you're angry with God. You get mad at God because you blame him for the things that you've had to go through. So when you say God is blank to you, you'd fill that in with more of a negative term. God is vindictive. God is angry. God is mean. For you, there is no positive word that can go in there because of your life experience. And as we said week one, and if you've missed any of our messages so far this week, we encourage you. You can go on the app that I just talked about. You can go on our website. You can find all the messages there and you can catch up to where we are today. But we want to remind you, we're not filling in that blank with our understanding, with our life experiences, with, with our definitions of who God is. 
We're filling in that blank with how God declares himself in the word of God. We're filling in that blank with what does God say about himself? What does God's word say about him? That's where we're going to start to learn to fill in that blank. Because if we start with us and move towards understanding God, it's always going to be a wrong understanding. It's always going to be skewed. It's never going to be accurate because we are sinful, fallen creatures in need of grace. My mind cannot comprehend who God is. We are dependent upon the word of God to tell us and to inform us of who God is. And so we don't go to ourselves or our life experiences First, we go to the word of God. We ask the word of God by the moving of the Holy Spirit as we know him as our savior. We've received Christ. And so we have a relationship with him as we talked about in the opening prayer. And so because I have a relationship with Christ, I know him. I have his spirit. It's been given to me by Christ. So now I can go into the word and I can understand the word of God in who God is. And then what we do is we take that knowledge, that information, and now we look through that lens to the things we see in our life. See, when we go through difficulties, and by the way, some guys on TV will tell you that if you really know Christ, you'll never go through one difficulty. You'll always be healthy, wealthy, and blessed. You'll always have money in the bank account. Man, that sounds really good. That preaches really good. It's not in the Bible, but it preaches really good. There's going to be struggles in this life. We live in a fallen world. I mean, just spend more than five minutes in the world, and you'll realize there's some sinners out there. Yeah, drive on the road for five minutes. There's some sinners out there. By the way, there's some sinners in your driver's seat too as you're driving down the road, right? We've all, we all need grace. This world has fallen, and so we understand that there's struggles. We make decisions, you make decisions, and the consequences of those choices lead to you having struggles in your life. Others make decisions, Others make choices that are wrong decisions that affect you, that you don't have control over. Those cause struggle and trials in your life. But then there's times that we see blessings and provisions and we, we are at peace and we're content because we have things provided for us through work or through gifting or generosity. And so how do we view all these different things we go through in life? We don't start with the experience to God. We start with God's word to God, then to our experiences. And so when I struggle and I go through a difficulty, I'm not overcome by that because as I couldn't say last week, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He has overcome the world. And so when we are pushed down, we're not overwhelmed. We're not overtaken. Right? We might go through some seasons, but he is with us. Paul says that to die is gain. This is a man that went through imprisonments and beatings and just horrible situations that he suffered for his faith. And he went through it joyfully. Why? Not because he wanted to experience suffering, but because he knew Christ in the suffering. So he never went through it alone. Do you see how when we start with God's word, we fill in that blank of who God is first then we look at our experiences. Our experiences don't change, but our perception of our experiences change. See, your circumstances don't have to get better overnight for you to have a joyful and abundant life. We have an abundant life in Christ, John 10.10. 10. We don't need all our wants to be met to have a peaceful life. No, no, you have peace in you by the Holy Spirit, John 14.27, given to you. And so see, we come and we fill in this blank, not with our understanding, because it will be skewed. It will be wrong. But we go to God's word and we desire of God's word, give us wisdom and how to fill in 
this blank. Romans 10, 17, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your faith will grow in God, in Christ, not by your understanding, but by an understanding of his word. We have covered a lot of ground in just really two weeks of this series, discovering that God is both faithful and God is gracious. Amen? God's faithfulness is unending. Man, I, I am so, I shouldn't be because this is one of those things that you say, right? You're like, man, I'm overwhelmed by what God does. I'm, I'm blown away by how God moves. And we really shouldn't be because we, if we understand who our God is, we should understand that's just what he does. But I'm always amazed. So I don't sit down with the praise team, with Jeff or Keith or Renee or any of those guys, and I don't lay out the details of my messages. So I don't get with them and go, hey, I'm going to be preaching on this, so I want you to do music like this. And the praise team knows this, and, and they can attest to this. I very much let them lead their ministry. And I'm so thankful that that's how it is, because I walk in this morning, and the songs that were sung today... And what we're going to talk about today, I, I couldn't have picked a better set list. And it's just amazing how God orchestrates all of that together. It's great having Abby with the praise team this morning and singing for us this morning home from college for Thanksgiving. I'm not going to say the praise team was better this morning than last week, Abby, but we know, we know what's up. Okay, so we're good. Okay. Sorry, my tie got caught there for a second. Oh, jeez. Okay. All right. Um. Just got hung up there for a second. Um, so we've covered a lot of ground over the last two weeks. I told him I wouldn't say anything. I didn't say I wouldn't say anything about the tie. I didn't say that. I said I won't say anything about that. So I held to my word. Okay. So we've covered a lot of ground. God is faithful, right? He's not just faithful now. He has been faithful. He is faithful, and he will be faithful again. And because he is so faithful... We can trust him. And because we trust him and we believe he's faithful and we see that in his word, it leads us to understanding that God is then gracious. He's so gracious. And we said last week, and, and we kind of did an illustration to kind of bring this to life, and I pray that it kind of encouraged you in some way to know that we don't move up the ladder towards God in our own strength, in our own merit. We only move towards God in Christ. We need his grace. We need his mercy. And again, if you weren't here last week, you can watch the service online there. So this morning, we want to worship him. We want to praise him. And so how are we going to finish out God is blank? As I was praying through this series and I was jotting down different ideas, I mean, if you haven't thought about it, you could fill in a lot of words there. And this could be a long series. Amen. We could write all kinds of things there. But as I was writing this some different topics down and coming up with some things that I felt would be encouraging for you and what God was speaking to me about my own personal devotional time. And, and I just kind of felt that the only way I could end this that I felt would be appropriate would be God is more than we know. God is more than we know. You see, this morning we are wanting to realize that our God, the God of the word of God, the creator of everything, the, the amazing, majestic, powerful, mighty God is more than we'll know. You see, one day the Bible says that we will see him and we will be like him. Not in deity. We will not become divine. We will not become angels, despite what a movie that's going to be really popular here is going to tell you. 
We don't, we don't change into an angelic being. We don't become divine. We don't become like Christ and his deity. What the Bible is saying is that we will see him and we will be like him because we will have understanding. We'll be fully aware of the bigger picture. And we'll understand who God is. See, right now, we, we only see kind of partly. We just see kind of dimly who God is. We have his word, and it reveals to us a lot about our God, but there's a lot about our God that's not specifically revealed in the word of God because we can't comprehend it. But one day, we'll really see. We think he's gracious now. One day, we'll really understand how gracious he is. You think he's mighty now? Think about the Old Testament individuals that went before the throne of the Lord. Think about Isaiah. He had knowledge of God. He knew about God. He knew of God. And yet when he saw the throne, all of his knowledge was gone. And all that was left was humility, admittance of sin, and a desire for grace. Because he, in a small way, understood the vastness of our God. You see, our God, the God of the word of God, is more than we know. Go with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. In the seats in front of you, there are some Bibles. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, we invite you to use one of those Bibles. That's what they're there for. And if you're using one of those Bibles, you can actually just turn to page 241. Page 241 in the Bibles in the seats there provided. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, look at verse 22. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 22. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord, I'm sorry, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, It's not there are some like you. There are kind of those who are like you. There is none like thee. Neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Let's pray and ask God to affirm this and open our hearts to his word. Father, we need you this morning. My words, my understanding, my knowledge, so limited. I am weak and feeble. I cannot communicate all that you have for your people this morning. Just, it's not possible. There's not enough words and enough ways to say what we're going to say this morning, but I'm so thankful that the message that's going forth is not dependent upon me, my personality, my ability. Lord, what a weak gospel that would be if it depended upon man. But I'm so thankful that as we preach your word as best we can, even at times in weakness and limited, that your spirit will go before us and speak into the hearts and minds of the people here today. That the spirit of God will convict of sin and righteousness. The spirit of God will bring wisdom. The spirit of God will draw to repentance. The spirit of God will do the work that we can't do. That internal heart work, that bringing knowledge and wisdom to our minds. You see, Studying the word of God and, and studying you and all that you are, Lord, is not an emotional thing. It's, a, it's an intellectual thing. It's, it takes work. 
But Lord, it's also supported and followed by emotion. And so I pray that our hearts and our minds, not just one or the other, but our hearts and our minds will be engaged this morning in your word that you will encourage us. Lord, you are more than we can know. But I pray that we would strive to grow in the knowledge of grace and truth. That we would strive to worship you for the God that you declare yourself to be, even when we don't understand. And I pray, Lord, for the one here this morning, or maybe many that are going through something that, Lord, we don't say it flippantly. We don't say it without much empathy and care. Lord, that you are with them and you are moving in that situation. And so, Lord, we know that we say things like, well, just trust God or just God has a plan. But, Lord, in the moments of struggle and trial, those words fall a little short. So I pray that we wouldn't just say those things, but we would demonstrate those beliefs. That you would work in hearts and minds this morning. And, Father, thank you for your word that is the foundation on which we build our relationship with you, our knowledge of you. And we only know the gospel because it's revealed in the word. And so thank you for revealing to us who you are. Give us faith. Help us to trust. And again, may we truly leave here this morning knowing there is no one like you. Father, thank you for all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is a prayer of David. And he's praying to the Lord and he's exalting the name of God. He's lifting up the name of the Lord. And his, the key in this prayer is that there is none like our God. There is no one like him. There is nothing that rivals our God. Satan and Jesus are not equals. They are not battling it out as equals, kind of fighting for, no, 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 no. That looks good in Hollywood, that's in TV, that's in whatever. But Jesus is God, the God-man who came to die for our sins. Satan is a created being. He is not like God. There is nothing like God. And in fact, when, side note, I can't do too many of these side notes, so pray for your preacher, keep me on track. But, but side note, Matthew chapter 4, if you're interested, study out the temptations of Christ. When Satan came and tried to tempt Jesus while he was on earth. One of the most powerful moments in that whole temptation, Jesus began that and allowed that, and Jesus ended it. He says, you need to go away now. And Satan had to leave. Because Satan is under the authority of Christ. Now, God has given Satan time. He's giving him the opportunity to roam the world and to look for those he may lead to choose sin, but at the same time, he's also given his gospel and publicly displayed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that anyone can turn from sin and trust in Christ. You see, Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit, all God, all equal, are unrivaled in all of creation. There's nothing like your God. Your situation does not rival your God. Your God is greater. Your emotions do not rival your God. Your God is greater. Your heart, when it speaks against you and tries to condemn you, maybe for past sin or past guilt that's been forgiven and repented of, stop letting that win because he is greater than your heart. See, our God is greater. So this morning, we're going to just dwell in that reality. We're going to dwell in who our God declares himself to be. And worship him for his power and his holiness. See, I, I was thinking about, Lord, where would you have us to go? And I feel we need to spend time talking about his power, 
and his holiness. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of days I don't pause to reflect on the holiness of God. I like to talk about his power, and we're going to talk about that. I like to talk about his might and his ability and his strength, because we love that, because we want to run to that. When we need him, we want to run to his power. But I believe we need to really understand his holiness, at least to a small sample this morning of what we're going to dive into. So again, this morning we're going to talk about his power and his holiness. So if you're taking notes or you're following along online, that first point there, he is more powerful than we will ever know. He is more powerful than we will ever know. Now, I don't know about you, but that statement, I hear that and I think, okay, great. Yeah, sure. Okay. And we try to think about things that we think of as powerful. We think about athletes. We think about energy. We think about these different things that represent power in our minds. And it's hard for us to really believe that God is more powerful than we ever know because we don't see him. I don't see God physically standing here. So we see these other things that are very powerful and we think, well, I can't understand how God is more powerful than that. But his power, whether we fully understand it, whether we can see it, is revealed in his word. It's revealed all around us. And we can worship him for being more powerful than we will ever know. The first thing we have to note, and it's the most obvious one, is his creative power. His creative power. God merely spoke the universe into existence. Now, I know this isn't a popular thing, even in some Christian circles to talk about, but we believe, I believe, that Genesis 1 and 2 are historical fact, not figurative allegory. God did not simplify or dumb down creation for Moses to write it down because Moses couldn't understand the complex difficulties of evolution. So therefore, God simplified it into things like he said and he spoke and he formed. I believe that God believes Genesis is literal. I believe that Jesus believed Genesis is literal because Jesus quoted it as historical fact. He referred to a literal Adam, not a figurative Adam. He uses the marriage of Adam and Eve as the blueprint for marriage in the New Testament. Why would he do that if it's just figurative? It's just allegory. But it's historical fact and it can be trusted. You see, when you look out in all of creation, some of you guys are hunters. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I want to be in the tree right now, but I can't. Okay. I had to come to church. Thanks for that. Okay. Some of you guys are hunters and you've been spending some time out in the woods. You've been out there before sunrise and and you've seen the beauty of God's creation right in front of you. You've seen the sun come over the horizon and you've seen nature and just the world around you kind of come to life in the morning. And we walk out in the summer and we see the stars and we see all that God has made. And we realize that he spoke it into existence. It wasn't he spoke and it was. Period. Done. He did that. A universe that was spoken into existence that astronomers estimate contains more than 100 billion galaxies. But all the power contained in the entire universe is but a small representation of the unlimited power of God. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, There is nothing too hard for thee. There is nothing too hard for thee. Now, to me, that statement, it seems pretty simple, but I want to explain a little bit more on what that means. John Gill, who was a 
author or theologian from many, many times ago, many years ago. I love what he writes in his commentary on Jeremiah 32, 17. He says this, There is nothing too hard for thee. Or another way you could say that, There is nothing hidden from thee. There is nothing hidden from thee. John Gill says, Which his wisdom and knowledge did not reach. There is nothing his wisdom and his knowledge cannot reach. Or his power could not affect. Or which is too wonderful for thee. There is nothing that has so much of the wonderful in it as to be above the compass of his understanding and out of the reach of his power. As such things be which are beyond the power and the skill of men. But there is no such thing with God whose understanding is unsearchable. Think about that statement for a second. His understanding is unsearchable. You cannot search the depths of what God knows. That's how limited we are and how unlimited he is. And his power is irresistible. It is just effective. It is present. With him, nothing is impossible. And who can think there is that? Who can think there is that? Observes that the heaven and earth are made by him. How can we think that there is anything impossible for our God when we look at creation and we realize that he spoke this into existence? He formed you of the dust of the ground. You were a miracle. You are a treasure. You are valuable and created by God. One of the greatest sins of people buying into the lie of denying creation and accepting human evolution or human made mindset of evolution is it robs God of his glory and it denies you of your uniqueness. It takes away the value and the uniqueness that you have been formed in the image of God. Now, we know that sin has corrupted and, and perverted the world. We live in a fallen world. We're fallen man. We don't see God as we should. We don't follow after him naturally. We follow the things of the flesh. We deny him. But you know, the Bible never says that the image of God was taken off of man. That we are still the image bearers of God. And that is why sin is so so damaging and so destructive because it reminds us of our flesh and it denies the reality of who, whose image we were made in. You were made in the image of God. You have intrinsic value and worth, not because of what you bring to the table, what you make, what you do, how talented you are, how good you are at that or this. You have intrinsic value and worth because you were made in the image of your God. And so hatred has no place. Racism and prejudice has no place. Any, there's no excuse for a Christian to show racism or prejudice to another human being because they are both made in the image of God and both falling in need of grace. See, our God is a God that says, for whosoever, it is good news for all peoples, every people group all over the world. And our God formed everything we see. He made the world. David writes in Psalm 8, when I look at the night sky, some of you can relate with this. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you have set in place what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them. In Psalm 8, 3 through 4, David looks at the skies, looks to the vastness of the creative power of God and says, I am not worth even considering. 
Why would you even care for me and be concerned about me? Now, a few months ago, we studied Psalm 8 on Sunday night, and we invite you tonight to come out. We're going to dive into another passage. We just take a passage of Scripture. We literally break it down verse by verse, word by word. We work together. It's kind of like a, kind of more like a classroom style. We just study the word together. It's an amazing time. And we did that with Psalm 8. And we got to understand that, yes, God is creative and he's overwhelming in his power. But then he pauses to think of you and me. He cares for us. Yeah, he's vast, but he's also involved in the details. He's involved in your life and he wants to know you intimately. You see, we think about his creative power. God merely speaks and all of creation obeys his commands. Therefore, the natural response of the disciples when Jesus calmed the wind and the storms was astonishment. And they wondered, who is this man that even the winds obey? First-hand testimony, there was a storm. Jesus said, peace be still, and the storm ceased. Because he has unlimited power. One author said it this way, the combined energy of all of earth's storms, winds, ocean waves, and other forces of nature do not equal even a fraction of God's almighty power. Think about the storms that we see, the power of those hurricanes, just the, the immense power in these things. Not even a fraction of the power of the God who created them. You see, we recognize his creative power, but as well we recognize his ceaseless power. You can jot it down for note's sake. We're not going to turn there. A familiar passage, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. We see his ceaseless power. That there is no end to his power. We must know God's power is inherent in his nature. All power has always been his and will continue to be his for all of eternity. Why is that? Because God is all-powerful. It is one of his attributes. His power is not restrained or inhibited by any of his created beings. People and nations are powerless when confronted by his might, and any power we have is a gift from him. We cannot, we cannot stand against him. Our amazing God can do anything if it does not violate any of his other attributes or will. No task is too big for him. He never fails. And he is never tired, frustrated, or discouraged. We've sang it. You've never failed me yet. Man, as they, as they started singing that song, I thought, God, you are so amazing. Like, I literally wrote it down. He's so good to us. And his power has never let us down. He's never failed you. We said this a few weeks ago. Have people failed you? Just everybody say it together. They've let you down. They've, let, they've broken promises. They've not been trustworthy. They've failed expectations. And we sometimes project that onto God. Well, if they've let me down, you'll let me down. And we cannot do that because God has never failed you. His power is unending. Ephesians 3 talks about the fact that we as a church, we praise him to the end of the world because his glory and his power will remain faithful. I'm going to go through some things here. And man, we're trying. We'll see how this goes. But I just, I, I, in my studies, I came, I, I came across these bullet points of his, his power seen in scripture and I have to share them. And so again, obviously, please see me if you want to get the notes on this, but I want to encourage you to reflect on the power of God in scripture. I'm just going to list a few things and I'm going to read the statement, give you the verse. And again, we can get you the verses later, but 
God has the power to create anything from nothing. Psalm 33, 6 through 9. God has power to deliver. Exodus 13, 3. God's creative power is beyond our comprehension. Job 38. God speaks and things happen. Psalm 29. His resurrection power is immeasurably great. Ephesians 1. His creation reflects his power. Psalm 19. His powerful word sustains everything. Hebrews chapter 1. His powerful word sustains everything. He has power over death. Revelation 1.18. No one can challenge what God does. Daniel 4. And God's power is revealed in himself as the almighty God. Genesis 17.1. And his power is ceaseless. There is no end. He is more powerful than we will ever know. And he is holier than we will ever know. Go with me to Psalm chapter 96. Psalm chapter 96, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 443. Page 443, if you're using a Bible provided, Psalm 96. And we'll be in verse 9. Psalm 96 and verse 9. Simple verse. But there's so much here. Psalm 96.9 says this, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Psalm 96.9, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. He is holier than we'll ever know. He is completely set apart unto himself. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart. To be completely set apart unto him. And God is completely set apart unto himself. He is holy. There is nothing in him that is impure. There is nothing in him that is sinful. You see, his holiness is what draws us to him. I truly believe that. And it's also what causes the most fear when we are before him. His holiness is what draws us to him. And it's also what causes the most fear when we're before him. We are in awe of his holiness, but in the presence of his holiness, we are made aware of our sinfulness, which brings fear to us, which is the appropriate response. If you've ever been in prayer and you've been praying and you've been seeking him and you've been reading his word and you just become aware of the holiness of God, the vastness of God, the power of God, two things should start to happen very quickly. One, you get really small. Amen? That's a great thing, by the way. You get smaller, he gets bigger, he gets holier, you realize your sin. We become aware of our inability and we're humbled, we're broken, we're made small, and we become aware of his holiness and our sinfulness. And that leads us to respond in fear. I am sinful, you are holy, I do not deserve to be before you. And what do we do with that fear? Well, it either draws draws us and pushes us to repentance, the need of forgiveness of sin and grace, or receiving of grace, or we run from God and we ignore God and we think, okay, I don't want to be around God, so I'm just going to isolate myself in my sin. I'm going to isolate myself in my own kingdom. I'm going to ignore God. I'm going to declare in my heart as a fool, there is no God. The Bible says that. 
And so what do we do with the fear? That's the key. Do we let that fear, which is healthy and good, drive us to him? Or do we let that fear push us away from him and think, I could never have a relationship with that God? Or I don't want to give up my sin. I don't want a relationship with that God. See, because when we understand how holy he is, and then he says to us, be ye holy as I am holy, that calls us to live a lifestyle of holiness. To be separated unto him. And we'll talk about in a moment how we live that out. You see, our God is holy. His character is perfect in every way. His moral excellence is the absolute standard of integrity and ethical purity. God's supreme holiness infinitely sets him apart from all of humanity. There is a divide between us and him, and it is clear. It is distinct. It's been in existence since Genesis chapter 3, and it continues today. As we talked about last week, there's only one way to cross that divide, and it's in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. You see, God takes his holiness seriously. He guards his holy reputation, Ezekiel 36. His holiness demands exclusive worship, Joshua 24. He disciplines believers to impart his holiness to them. I don't know about you, but I've been on the disciplining end of God's hand before. It is not pleasant, but it is much needed. I've needed God to step in and bring discipline because I let myself get off track. I changed my focus. I wasn't focused on him and I needed his hand of correction as a good and loving and gracious heavenly father to not let me continue down a path of sin, but to grab me by the scruff of my neck. Amen. And to say, no, 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 no. There's some things down that road. You don't need to go down. Now, some of you maybe weren't raised that way. I was raised where when I was doing wrong, my father's hand, my stepfather's hand came quickly to the back of my neck. Amen. And I became very aware of two things. One, this is going to hurt. And two, I'm doing wrong. See, God disciplines. Why? Because he's mean and angry and vindictive? No. Because he's imparting his holiness to us so that we would live separate to him. So that, John 10, we would live the abundant life. You see, his holiness is unique. Exodus chapter 15. His holiness is the standard for believers' behavior. That's, that's a hard one. His holiness is the standard for believers' behavior. 1 Peter 1. His holy presence rejects impurity. Isaiah 6. No one else is holy like him. 1 Samuel 2.2. 2. The most holy one deserves constant honor. Revelation 4.8. You see, he takes his holiness seriously. We need to take his holiness seriously. We need to see him as a holy God. His holiness is not only more than we know. His holiness demands our full devotion. Because he is holy, it demands our full devotion. The Apostle John strongly warns us in 1 John 5, 21 to stay away from anything that would take God's place in our hearts. That we would not give anything first place in our hearts other than God. So this is where we pause. This is where we start to do the hard work of evaluating and asking ourselves tough questions. And I pray that you're doing that all through the service and including now. Because here's the evaluation question. What's, don't answer out loud, what's first place in your heart? Don't give the church answer. Between you and God, give the real answer. 
No, 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 it's Jesus. It's Jesus all day. Okay, do your finances reflect that? Does your time reflect that? Do your desires reflect that? Do your prayers reflect that? Does your church involvement reflect that? Well, come on now, preacher. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. If he is holy as we think he is, you should not ever have to be motivated to worship him. And I don't mean to get worked up on that, but it drives me crazy when I see the blatant apathy of Christians who it's not convenient to worship him, so I'm going to go do something else. But he's holy. Oh, he's so holy. Not holy enough to give my full devotion to, but he's holy, preacher. And I say this because I know I've put other things in first place in my heart. I've put ministry in first place. How foolish would that be to put the work of God before God himself? I've put family before him. I've put self before him. You know how we know we're putting self before him and self is number one? Because all the things I just listed please you and we're not worried about pleasing him. Your finances please you. Your time pleases you. Your your convenience pleases you. By the way, you also expect everyone around you to please you. Your wife, your kids, your job. And you get mad when they don't do that. Can you believe my spouse doesn't worship me when I walk in the door? I'm number one. I'm first place. They're supposed to come up, bow down. Like, give me, where's, where's the homage? I don't think I've ever used that word in a message before. Homage. It's the first. But man, if Christ is number one in your heart, If you've placed him in that first priority, you walk in the door and your first thought is, how can I please the Lord by serving my spouse right now? What can I do to walk in the door and say, instead of thinking, wow, this is inconvenient and that's not right and that's not right and dinner's not on the table. I've thought about trying that with Sandra. (laughs) But I just don't think it'll go well. No, we've joked about that a lot over the years. If I say something like that, shouldn't you be in the kitchen making me a pie or something? And she just looks at me, gives me that smirk, and she says, are your legs broken? You know where the oven is. But you see, when we put the wrong thing, number one, we will pursue the wrong thing. What is the first commandment that was given to mankind in the Ten Commandments? Don't put anything, don't put any gods before me. Why is that so key? Because whatever is first in our hearts is what we'll always pursue. If it's self or others or a feeling or an emotion or success, you'll pursue that. And you will sacrifice everything else to get that. And so what's number one? What's that first thing? If God is holy and holier than we'll ever know, he demands our full devotion Not partial, not 50%, not when it's convenient, full devotion. Are you desiring to be set apart to your holy God? Would you say that holy living would define your daily life? You might say, what does that mean? Well, holy living involves a daily decision to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Now, this is where we have to pause because I will be the first to admit, you don't have to raise your hand, I'll raise my hand. 
every day of my Christian life has not been fully devoted to the holy living of Christ. See, no one has perfect faith. No one has perfect holiness. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved, what others think of you, all of us have fallen short. We all say things, think things, and do things we shouldn't do. No way do we condone that. The Bible says, do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But we understand that no matter how close we are to Christ, no matter how well we're walking with him, we all need grace every single day. No one is perfect. But what is the goal? Well, the goal is to strive for obedience to Christ, to be set apart unto him. So how does that happen in our lives? How is knowing that God has unlimited power and is holy beyond our understanding changed your mindset today? How does knowing the vast power and holiness of God draw you into a deeper worship of the Lord? In what way is God leading you to live in a holy way, giving full devotion to the things of the Lord? I just want to leave all of us with those questions because I think it's daily questions. And we ask ourselves these things every day as followers of Christ. Not to condemn ourselves or to beat ourselves up or to tear ourselves down or to live in the past sins of yesterday and go, I was such a fool to do this. I can't believe I did that. Well, we've all done foolish things. So we don't stay in the past and play vict- be a victim to those things. We move forward in grace. And we say, Lord, I've asked for forgiveness. I've repented of that. If others want to remind me of my sin, that's fine. You don't remind me of my sin. You remind me of my standing in Christ. Let's move forward. Maybe you've got people in your life that want to keep hounding you about your past sin mistakes. Those are consequences of the choice that we made to sin. That's just part of it. But it doesn't have to dictate your identity in Christ. You are not your sins. You are who Christ says you are, forgiven and free in him. Have we sinned? Yes. Is there potential to sin again? Yes. That does not mean that we live in our sin as an identity. You are not, and I know what people mean when they say this, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint, a child of God. You were a sinner identity. You were saved by grace. You are being saved by grace. Yes, you may still sin, but that is not your identity in Christ. You cannot show me anywhere in scripture where God calls a redeemed individual a sinner. You only see them being called things like beloved, son, daughter, child of God. That's your identity. Live in that, worship his holiness and his power, and live in devotion to him because he's given you the grace to do so. Would you worship with me this morning as we worship his holiness? Let's pray. Father, as we spend this time of invitation, Lord, we pray that it would truly be a time of worship to your holiness, to your greatness, to your power and your might. And Lord, I know that it's easy to say those things, but Lord, I pray that we as followers of Christ would not just say those things, but we'd back those things up with action. Lord, we live in a nation where Christians walk around every day. We see it on social media. We see it on TV. We see it in different forms of media where people want to talk about your holiness, want to talk about who you are, talk about your power. But Lord, is it really affecting our daily lives? If we see you as holy, why are we not fully devoted? Now, I know we all struggle. We all stumble. I'm I'm not saying that we don't need grace because we do. But Lord, are we using excuses are we, are we allowing ourselves to get distracted? Lord, would we, would we strive to live holy lives? 
Thank you for the grace that's needed to live in a way that honors you. We cannot do it without you. We don't merit salvation. We don't work to get our salvation, and we don't work to keep our salvation. It is all by grace. You hold on to us. So out of your love for us, would there be an overflow of devotion to you in our words, in our actions? Lord, again, that you would be glorified, that people would see our light, our good works, and glorify our Father in heaven. Help us to live holy lives set apart unto you. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what other people say. What matters is what does your word say? Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. So if there's somebody here, Lord, that's sinned or fallen away or living in a way that doesn't please you, I pray that they would cry out in repentance, seek your grace, be restored, and live in this, the confidence and the comfort of your peace and grace, no longer letting sin keep them victim. Lord, for the one that has sinned in the past, been forgiven and repented of that sin, but the enemy wants to hold them back, the flesh wants to hold them back, I pray they'd break those chains and realize that they are forgiven and free to get off the sideline, to get running in the race that you've laid before them, that they would glorify you. Father, again, help us to be more than, help us to be more than words. Help it to be action. Lord, when we just hear the word and aren't doers of the word, we're deceiving ourselves. You call us to be doers of the word. Help us to do that today, starting right now. Father, we love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we're led in a song of invitation? However God is leading, would you come and pray? Maybe you want to just come and praise him for his power and his holiness. Lord, thank you for being the God that you declare yourself to be. Help me to live in an understanding of that. Maybe you'd come and worship him and just bend a knee and pray that. And just lift him up. Maybe you need to know Christ. Maybe you'd receive Christ this morning as your Savior. Whatever it is, would you just respond to what God is doing as we sing?